The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Ah, happy hump day, everybody. It's Wednesday. You're watching Squawkbox. You've got Karen Cho and myself, Steve Sedgwick. Shall I give you some headlines? All right, I will. So, benchmark US yields hovering near 16-year peaks ahead of the Jackson Hole Summit, whilst the 10-year JGB yield over in Japan hitting its highest level since early 2014. NVIDIA shares just pulling back a tad, only 2.8% from record highs, with option traders eyeing potential double-digit moves. If the chipmaker disappoints, or if it exceeds expectations, they've got the bets on in both directions. This on its highly anticipated earnings day. Macy's sounds the alarm as it swings to a second quarter net loss, warning shoppers will be more picky and price-driven in the back half of the year. Spain's king gives the green light to the Conservative opposition to try and form a government after an inconclusive general election left the country in limbo. And China assuring its BRICS counterparts its economy is resilient enough to overcome its economic challenges and even as Xi Jinping sits out of a key business forum. Uh, the Chinese president, though, pledging to strengthen ties within the bloc. We need to strengthen strategic collaboration, practice true multilateralism and promote the expansion of the representation and voice of southern countries in global governance. some of the best weather so far in the capital that we've had in weeks and on markets well I think investors still looking at stormy conditions and that's coming through on the Treasury market in particular there's a lot of wait and see ahead of Jackson Hole the big symposium for central bankers uh, later this week the market's still looking at uh, real yields and the March higher and what we've seen across on this US Treasury yield 4.30 we've come off a little bit in session but still only a couple of basis points after the escalation we saw over the course of last week so markets trying to judge what comes next the phase to get uh, from the 3.2 back to the two percent handle just what that looks like and a lot of commentary yesterday about a potential concern for that re-escalation of inflation down the track and not just closing the gap from above three to two but whether there could in fact be further pressure on this sticky inflation story down the track so again just what policymakers think about the strategy from here is quite key for a lot of investors. Uh, let's push on to global yields away from this 4.3 level. We're seeing on the US yield, you can see uh, JGB is of course still much lower, but there has also been a lift off there that has been pressuring policymakers. 0.67 where we're at, it is above that half of a percent mark, of course. Uh, the uh, Bund in Germany, 2.65 on the safe haven trade and here in the UK on gilts, 4.67. To the US markets and uh, it was quite a session that played out. Investors are still counting down to not just Jackson Hole but also earnings and it's Nvidia that's on the ticket later on today. Investors are very much watching that closely. That is a company that is forecasting 110% growth in third quarter revenue so huge expectations. It's been a driver for the Nasdaq and other AI stocks 
on the semiconductor index. So the market looking at it as a bellwether today. The Nasdaq cautious yesterday and noted that uh, NVIDIA is actually one of the underperformers for the markets for the S&P and also the Nasdaq. So just lightening up after gains a day earlier, just a slight pullback uh, ahead of the earnings as we count down to that. But um, other big features of the markets too. We had Macy's that was a warning. The stock was down heavily, double digits, 14%. So that impacted what we saw in the consumer discretionaries. Uh, in terms of the overall market though, it was financials that was one of the weaker performers. And we can take a look at that as shares of several major US banks fell Tuesday, a day after ratings agency S&P Global followed Moody's in cutting its credit ratings on some regional lenders and high commercial real estate exposure. As you can see, Goldman's down 1% uh, city down two and a half and in that range Bank of America shedding 2.4%. The US retail as I mentioned Macy's let's take a quick look at that stock down 14% going with it uh, Dick's Sporting Goods that was another stock that reported again this cautious consumer is what investors have been concerned about we have seen some consumer spending patterns hold up namely in the affordable luxury in the high-end luxury market but we are seeing the pressure and Macy's was talking about a, a picky consumer from here saying on the credit card balances on their own data those are starting to pick up and you can see the market reacting to the news flow from Macy's and also from Dick's Sporting Goods in session elsewhere slightly narrower ranges for some of the other major players Lowe's actually picking up a little bit of steam to the dollar uh, this is the trade this morning as we continue to eye those elevated yield stateside We've got uh, the dollar trade weaker mostly across the board this morning. So we have some slippage on this greenback story. We're 108.59 in euro perched up by about a tenth of versus the dollar and 127.5 on sterling this morning. Lovely to see you. Good morning. How Good morning. are you? Very well, thank Fresh you. Fresh as a daisy, no doubt, after Absolutely. a great night's sleep. Yeah, well, those two hours was great. <laughs> I know that feeling. So look, so we talked a lot about Jackson Hole and how I'm pretty dismissive. Uh, about the worth of what traders are really going to garner from it. I, I said my scenario is that it's going to be higher for longer. Uh, we need to stay the course in inflation. Uh, recession is a secondary concern. Uh, but, but the worst thing they could hear, the traders, and I'm not talking about the economy or Main Street. I'm talking about our, our dear friends who are watching this just purely from a trading point of view. Perhaps the worst thing they can hear uh, if they want to you know, pick up some bonds or they want to uh, go long the equity market is actually we're going to re-accelerate rates could potentially go higher rather yeah. than just hanging around here. That's the scenario, right? That, well, that, that's the kind of, that would be news. And it already is news because... Yeah, well, you say it's news, but it's something that's been debated for a while, yes, right? Yes, but it's not in that kind of, you know, we have these bell curves. You know, when everyone's yeah. China, 4.5 to 5%. They don't go out of it at any of the major banks. I challenge you to do so, you know, up or down. Uh, but but the, the bell curve is, yeah, we're at the top. Maybe one more 25 basis point. We're, we're there, aren't we? We're there. We're at the terminal rate. That's, the, that's what you and I are hearing on a daily basis, yeah? Right. But I, th I do think there's still this debate that's been playing out for a while, which is that it's stubborn on the inflation front. Yes. And that stubbornness doesn't mean it's stubborn getting from above three to two to close the gap. Or it's, is it stubborn now because there could be a re-acceleration down the track? And something policymakers have been very keen to highlight early on. But the market faded some of that notion, I think, yeah. as they started to debate the, the hard, soft landing scenarios. Yeah, and you know what? They're all just looking back at the ghost of Arthur Burns is an example from the... From the uh the last time we had inflation was a major issue. Well, listen to this. Richmond Fed President Thomas Barkin says there are signs of a potential, quote, wait for it, re-acceleration scenario for the US economy that could force the Fed to adjust its monetary stance sooner than expected. Barkin added that the recent jump in Treasury yields did not 
give him reason to think the Fed had tightened financial conditions too fast, i.e., are we in restrictive? I thought we were. Maybe we're not. Saying uh, the 10-year yield at over 4% appeared appropriate uh, off the back of strong economic data and higher rates. And uh, I've already teased it, but we've got so much coverage uh, from the Jackson Hole Symposium from Thursday, where we'll be hearing from Governors Patrick Harker, Loretta Mester and Austin Goolsby. But before that, let's hear from Al Catamold, who is Portfolio Manager, Mirabeau Asset Management. Al, you heard us just having a little bit of pontification and rumination uh, over the potential scenarios. But you just tell us what you think as well. A reacceleration scenario, that is not going to go down well with the market if it becomes mainstream. Good morning. Yes, I agree. That's the uh, the tail risk here. Um, are we going to see that that reacceleration? Are people going to start talking about uh, more than one more hike being put into the curve? Um, but from our side, I think it's really important to think about the uh, the lagged impact of all the rate hikes that we've seen, and is that really going to lead to a to reacceleration in in the curve? So, um, if you think about the Fed's done 525 basis points of hikes, so that's 21 hikes over the last two years. But these hikes have a 12 to 18 month lag to work through to the to the economy at their full effect. They only started hiking in, in March last year. So only nine of those hikes, only 225 basis points, is actually in that peak 12 to 18 month period uh, of being most effective. So you've still got um, a significant amount of, of pressure to come through in uh, late Q3 and Q4. You've got another eight hikes will be in that peak period by the end of 2023. And then you also have to remember um, the Fed didn't start from neutral. So we started from 0% rates. And as you said there, at what point did we become restrictive? I think there's an argument that the, the natural level should be somewhere between 2 or 3% on your, um, on your Fed funds rate. And we didn't reach that until September 2022. And you can see that in the, the financial conditions indices. They only really start to get restrictive around September uh, last year. So then you've only really had 11 months of restricted policy and the weight of that is going to come through in Q4 and we should start seeing uh, more traditional signs of um, of economic slowdown from the consumer as we get there. Yeah, um, and we're seeing signs of, of it um, for the likes of Mazes and Dick's Sporting Goods overnight. Pretty horrible figures there, but you know, just maybe two outliers, who knows? But, but, but OK, I'm going to go with you along this line because I think you're, you're right to be pointing to the cumulative and lagged. Cumulative and lagged, that's what we've been told uh, by Mr Powell as well. So I'll go with you on that one as well. So how is it so many... Um, I was going to call them geniuses. That is rude. So many experts and, uh, and brilliant minds in the market are saying, well, there'll be no recession. And yet you're saying some of the more traditional indicators of a slowdown will be coming through from now on in. But just everyone seems a little bit relaxed in the paddock about the risks of inflation. Yeah, we're going to hit the runway. It's going to be fine. What are your thoughts? Well, I think there's enough to show that, that the slowdown is, is, is coming. Um, but I also think that uh, the consumer is in a better situation than they were, say, pre-2008. Companies are, are in a better condition than they were. Uh, you know, we've come through COVID. Uh, Companies have um, maintained liquidity. Uh, you know, they've, they've, we've not had the excess of, of previous cycles, so you don't have big LBOs to blow up. Um, people have been also told for two years that there's, an, uh, there's a recession coming. So companies are, are very prepared. Uh, so you shouldn't see the dramatic changes in, in company behavior um, and the sudden drop off in, uh, in spending that we've perhaps seen in, in more surprising recessions. Uh, I also think, you know, we know that there's been a change in the labor market. We know that there's tightness potentially caused by uh, companies hoarding workers. And that should probably smooth the path of unemployment slightly um, as you hold them. You know, we've seen people reducing hours rather than letting staff go. 
Um, so I think there's a, there's a strong difference between a hard landing and a mild recession or, or a slowdown to zero. Um, but, you know, we're not we're not expecting a, um, a significant crash. What I'm saying is we're going to come down and that's going to take the pressure off inflation. Um, uh, and it, if you see that. Yeah. Al, I just want to get into the bond markets then and the reaction that we're seeing because it's been a woeful month for stocks because of what we're seeing on Treasury markets and arguably what we're seeing on monetary policy is still a huge area of debate. But on top of that, we've had Treasury issuance to digest. We've had the market concern about this Fitch downgrade of the sovereign credit rating of the US and also fears that China could be selling some of its Treasury portfolio as it tries to prop up the yuan. All these features coming together in August. How do you think this compares to what we've seen in other volatile months? Is it something that's significant in your view? I think I don't want to blame everything on uh, on people being on holiday, but you know you've had a, a confluence of a, of a few events there coming during uh, illiquid summer months, and I think what it uh, has seen is we've moved the range. So you know we were probably sitting at three and a half to four percent on the ten year. And that shifted up slightly as the economic data came better to make you 375 to, to 425. And then this step back in buyers, so the Chinese stepping back, the Japanese stepping back, uh, the US Treasury stepping back and increased issuance has just put a real focus on, on what's actually what's actually happening. Um, I think the range is probably four to 450 for the short term until we break out of this narrow range of, of data. Um, because if you think about it, we're pricing in about a 40% chance of a hike in either September or November. So for that to be fully priced in, that's only about another 15 basis points to be put in through the curves. That gives you a top of about 4.5%. Um, it's just been such an amazing period where, um, you know, the soft landing narrative was was taking hold and you've got such a narrow channel of where the data can come in to sustain that soft landing um, that until we get two or three data points, either towards the harder recession or towards the, the no landing scenario, um, then the narrative remains relatively changed, and we should stay in that in that kind of four to four and a half range right. until we see you know proper directional data. Uh, it feels like there are a lot of tourists now in the bond market. What's the most volatile, though, in your view? What areas do you think that investors should be cautious about at this stage? To be honest, I think fixed income in general is is looking very attractive um, across the board. You've got a really asymmetric return profile. So the important thing to remember with fixed income is. Um, the entry level you know your starting yield is very very important so um us high yield global high yield anytime that's above eight eight and a half percent uh the data for 12 month total returns is very very positive um you've got us investment grade above six percent again very very positive 12 month returns um you know new issue coupons are coming at seven or eight percent in in high yield and this is giving you a great buffer against volatility um so i think you know when you have that starting yield uh, and can take a longer term view, then uh, I think that fixed income is, is is generally attractive. Where we, you know, there's certain sectors. So obviously, chemicals has been very weak. Retail, you would normally uh, try and stay away from here. Um, I think the important thing on Macy's was that actually the credit card delinquencies was picking up, and on on Dick's Sporting Goods, it was um, theft and shrinkage that was picking up. So you know, just the anecdotal signs um, of the weakening consumer. So you want to pull back on that. Um, that discretionary spend but in general overall market valuations don't look too too expensive here there's an argument that the credit spread is, is perhaps too tight on on high yield and i can understand people getting nervous about that when spreads are around 400 but as i mentioned you know companies are in better shape and i think that takes away you know the high the high levels on spread Ow. you're not going to see 800 900 basis points here
Lovely to speak to you, sir. Thank you for giving us your views and getting up pretty early for you. It's just, you're still in London, so you don't get that extra hour from uh, a lot of our continental contributors uh, this time of day. But nice to see you, Al. Thanks very much indeed for that. Al Calamol, uh, Portfolio Manager at Mirabeau Asset Management. There was something that Al just said in his last answer that really is something you and I have looked at a long time, and that is when a delinquency is going to pick up. Yeah. And they did over at Macy's. Mm -hmm. That's Credit right. card delinquencies. And you know I've had my problems with buy now, pay later for a long, long time and the ramifications for that on whole echelons as well. And maybe you and I will do a lot more detail on this a little bit later on because it speaks volumes about a certain demographic of their customers, the normal demographic, nothing crazy, who are now under a vast amount of pressure. I think that was absolutely my, well, not mind-blowing, but Macy's down 14%. It really caught my interest. Yeah, I was reading uh, another piece from uh, an analyst. Uh, it was Data Trek overnight talking about people are still spending, but they're prioritising their spending. And that's quite key. So already we're seeing yeah. the consumer behaviours change. Uh, that uh, back to school, for instance, things you have to buy, you have to put you know, kids in, in shoes that fit. You have to give them some stationery. <laughs> nice in, the, in the 21st century, isn't it? <laughs> they need some stationery, right? So I, they I can prefer, the, each, uh, I prefer the, 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 the Dickens approach of making my children go to school and either bare feet or just kind of shoes that are about five sizes too small. With a few holes on top as well. <laughs> it's like bleak house in my house. <laughs> Can't be up on the programme. NVIDIA reports second quarter earnings after the bell today in one of the most highly anticipated earnings reports of the year so far. We're going to take a look ahead at the numbers with Arjun. Plus day two of the BRICS summit in Johannesburg and expanding the block remains top of the agenda even as China's President Xi Jinping sits out a key business forum. And later, we'll get more reaction to Microsoft's revised takeover bid for Call of Duty publisher Activision as it tries to get the deal past UK regulators. We'll speak to the former legal director of the UK's Competition Authority, that is Tom Smith, joining us at 9.15 CET. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. Nvidia shares fell from their record high amid wider market weakness. But investors are still bullish on the company's prospects as it prepares to report its second quarter earnings today. Traders in the US equity options market are expecting Nvidia shares to swing as much as 11% in either direction. Revenue is expected to jump 67% year on year, according to revenue refinitive estimates. That is boosted by demand for AI chips. Wall Street is also expecting the company to forecast higher revenue growth in its third quarter. Arjun joins us with more. Arjun is looking at a preview from the analysts and the bull case versus their bear case upside uh, bull case to seven hundred dollars and if you consider what we've got on the market what 456 at this point bear case downside to 320 so these are wide ranges you can drive a truck through it, it sometimes feels with nvidia with we're often talking about cryptocurrencies, the right. amount of moves with, with the share price but i was actually staggered to be looking at some of the, the no, it's expert not cryptocurrency is it it's 
What do you mean? Well, because it makes something. It, yeah. It, no, it, I know. It, 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 it does guess. something, it does something stunningly useful it does for the do. planet, does, albeit destructive for society uh, more potentially over I'm medium to long more term. More on the on the share price moves <laughs> than anything, not on the actual company. But I was staggered to actually look at the estimates uh, for Nvidia, and, and when you look at what the market's expecting in terms of revenue growth, uh, about 11.2 billion, up 67%. EPS, it's looking for an increase of about 300%. When you look at, <laughs> when you're looking also. So uh, over the next few quarters as well, you look at the September quarter markets also expecting a sort of more than quadrupling of EPS. It's looking at revenue to double as well. And so those expectations are high. And that brings, I think, a degree of risk into uh, NVIDIA's numbers going in. If all of this hype around AI, etc., doesn't materialize, if uh, companies end up cutting spending, if there's supply constraints, there are a number of risks going into the numbers. But I think clearly there is a ton of excitement. Uh, about this story and about NVIDIA very much at this point in time being the only game in town when it comes to those GPUs effectively powering uh, all of those AI processes in the cloud. At the risk of getting our viewers uh, to turn off because they're hearing a whole bunch of numbers and letters put together, L40S ramp. Huh? <laughs> exactly. no, I have no idea what that means. Sorry. <laughs> so this is the China strategy. This right. is the chips that China can actually order versus what the A100 that China cannot order. So it gives China a foot in the game in terms of some AI and training machines, right? Mm. And yeah. that's what the market's focusing on, what that demand story will look like, because this could be the bare scenario, the China strategy. Yeah, NVIDIA's had to sort of uh, restructure some of its chips to comply with the export restrictions in the US. They're slightly less powerful, but it still gives China access to some of those key chips. But it, that is, uh, and we spoke about it yesterday with Arm, that is such an overhang for all of these companies. NVIDIA at this point, yes, can still export some chips to China, but it's not unthinkable uh, that you know the US administration in particular is looking at the future and wondering how far they go with export restrictions particularly around these critical technologies they see like AI like semi semiconductors that power those applications as well and so when you look at Nvidia you look at AMD and, and many of these others that are now starting to also bring out own uh, chips that can manage some of these AI workloads in data centers and elsewhere uh, those are definitely key risks for these companies. Um, here's a key risk um, I, I have no doubt the technology is great and it's not hype I mean but the question is is the share price so what could dent the share price is there a risk that they've got so many orders coming in and it's literally by the day in the last couple of years British ordering more chips, the, the Middle East ordering more trips, UAE, Saudi, you mentioned China there, you too as well. Is there a danger that there is such a backlog of orders that they can't satiate in time to can capitalize on their competitive advantage they have now? So that's the first part of the question. The second part of the question, who else is coming up the rails? That is a risk. So we're already hearing a little bit on NVIDIA in particular, supply constraints from some of its so customers. Oh, okay. So Supermicro is a, a data center and computing company. Uh, they warned quite recently that they couldn't get their ha hands on enough uh, AI chips from NVIDIA. And so that is already happening. So those supply constraints, uh, I reckon, will continue through the, the year, particularly for NVIDIA chips. Of course, that gives NVIDIA to some extent some pricing power, potentially. We saw with the memory chip makers, when there was a bit of a supply shortage in memory, the prices spiked for those chips. That's potentially a boon, but, the, but that does feed into the other question, who's coming up? 
to fill in some of that gap. Let's AMD. Because we're on a bog off with Arjun today. <laughs> uh, we're on a bog off. Really? Buy one, get one free. Every time he does a hit, we get two. And so I know we've got many more questions. But we need to get the arm story as well. So he's a bog. You're a bog. Okay. Never been called a bog off. Bog off. Never before. Buy one, get one free. Yeah. So we get we pay for one hit, we get two. Uh, potential <laughs> investors in arms heavily anticipated IPO are reportedly raising concerns over the company's exposure to China. This is according to the Financial Times, which says managers at four different funds are sounding the alarm. In its IPO filing, Arm says one quarter of its revenue comes from China, warning that it is, quote, especially susceptible to economic risks. Arm is expected to list on the Nasdaq next month with a valuation of 60 to $70. Um, discuss. We were sounding the alarm. We're not sounding the alarm. We were highlighting the risk before these fund managers were yesterday. And, and there were a few, 25% of revenue from China, so heavily reliant on that. Um, all of those revenues come from Arm China, a business that Arm doesn't actually have any direct management oversight of. So that's another big risk. Uh, they said they've had issues obtaining timely information, late payments, uh, and finally the geopolitical tension, as we've been discussing as well, as it ramps up between China and Arm, uh, talking about fragmentation of the semiconductor industry, further export restrictions, all having the ability to impact its business. So there are a number of big China risk for, for arm here. So where this gets interesting, a lot of stocks have been knocked around by the macro, right? There have been all sorts of concerns about a slowdown impact around China, but is AI and our chips different at this point, which takes us again back to NVIDIA. Is it immune to what some of the other sectors are facing? And is ARM going to be immune come September 2? I think that's the conundrum because it's got a separate story playing out around this AI journey. And with, with ARM, I mean, we, st we still got to remember a bulk of its uh, revenue is coming from smartphones. And we've seen in the latest quarter uh, a decline in revenue because of the slowdown broadly in consumer electronics and particularly in the smartphone market. So that pivot to these new areas hasn't happened yet and it needs to. Uh, for it to underpin these lofty valuations that's being discussed. Yeah, I, I was just thinking, maybe bog off's not right for you. Maybe you're like a leverage play for CNBC. You know, we, we put the Arjun bet on and we get two times the value. Something bog like off that. just sounds wrong. Bog off just sounds wrong. We well, bog off anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's something completely different. That's something that's that's we had a Grange Hill. Not many of our viewers will know that one. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.